0: Batman, The Joker's War on Christmas, Part 2. The next morning, Dick drove into town. Bloodhaven is a few hours of a drive away. He was appreciating the time in the car to mentally prepare for the time he'd have to be around Bruce for the next few days. That, and being a target for the public eye. He's pretty low key in Bloodhaven, as in, people aren't constantly fan rushing him. It's his home now. And people are used to him being there he's done well for himself over there too becoming his own person rather than just being bruce wayne's adopted kid he's a personal trainer slash fitness influencer with quite the following which is perfect for someone his age he lives in an apartment above the gym he works out of right kind of in the downtown area living among the common people one thing he always argued of bruce was that a man cannot be in touch with the people he claims as his own if he lives so separated from them, especially being all rich and whatnot. Driving onto the Wayne estate, Dick passes by the manor slowly to ponder over it in disappointment. The windows are mostly gone, parts of the roof are rotted away. It's a habitat for some of the wildlife, probably. A mansion is just a material thing, But that place was a home, for generations, and at one time for him. He blames Bruce for letting the family fall apart, just as metaphorically shown as he did with their home. Being the adopted son of Bruce Wayne, he's a celebrity enough that whenever he shows up back in Gotham, where most would consider to be his hometown, tabloids and media networks are all over the story. Headlines would probably read, Dick Grayson comes home for the holidays, It's a boring headline, but a story to fill a space in the newsfeed nonetheless. He'll have to remember to take a picture for Instagram at some point to satisfy his following. He pulls up to Alfred's place. The air is cold. The only sound is of the wind blowing through the bare trees. He gets his things out of his car and walks up to the door of the house, making a crunch in the snowy path with every step. Normally, Alfred would have been right there to not only greet him, but insist on taking his luggage for him. And Dick would have stubbornly refused. Dick is humbled by his background, growing up being a Carney. Even despite having spent the latter half of his upbringing living a lavish lifestyle as Bruce's adopted son, he always did his best to keep himself humble. Having taken various service industry jobs, and not giving into being overly materialistic. Especially since Alfred was getting older, he did the most he could to help out when he was around. Alfred, however, was nowhere to be seen. Odd. Dick showed himself in and dropped his things by the door. Hello? He called out. Alfred? No answer. A bundle of firewood sat in the small crate. Alfred would always place it in after retrieving it in the mornings. Meaning... He was awake, and at home at some point. His car was also there. He wouldn't have forgotten his plans with Dick either. Dick went to Alfred's bed to go down to the Batcave. As he descends on the elevator, the lights of the computers and gadgets and the displays of items collected over the years initially intercept his view. He then notices Alfred on the opposite side of the cave, working on some door he'd never seen before. He walks past the display case, of Jason's robin suit. He can't stand to even peek at it. It only provokes his anger towards Bruce. Alfred has wires hanging out of this door and is scrolling around on a tablet almost nervously. "'My sincerest apologies, Master Grayson,' Alfred says to him. He's a bit high-strung at the moment, but he's ex-Special Forces and isn't startled by much. Dick also wasn't trying to sneak up on him, either. Lost truck of time, I suppose. Yeah, that's fine, Alfred, Dick replies. I'm sure installing a new door this far underground is no simple task. Alfred lowers the tablet from in front of his face. He's reluctant to confess. It's not a new door, Master Grayson. What are you trying to say, Alfred? How old is the door? There was a time when Dick went away and stayed away from the Batcave, so he was trying to give the benefit of doubt that it could have been installed during this time. Alfred could not bring himself to respond at first. Are you saying that door has always been there? Dick beckons. Alfred stands up and places the tablet on top of his toolbox. There's been... A breach to the cave, he begins, as he lets out a sigh as he dreads to tell him the rest. Last night, the Joker found his way into the cave through this door. He's threatening something big. What does that door give access to, Alfred? Dick interrogates. He's mad. Not necessarily at Alfred, but it does frustrate him how he goes along with Bruce's secret-keeping. The door is to a tunnel, sir, he says. Leads to where? Dick asks, almost clenching his teeth. Wayne Tower, sir, Alfred answers. More secrets? Dick exclaims. Just then, Bruce comes down the elevator. He's dressed as if he's ready to train. He notices Dick across the way. Alfred and Dick look back over at him. Alfred hangs his head in guilt. Another secret he went along with, and Dick has every right to be angry about this one. Are you kidding yourself, Bruce? He shouts from across the cave as he begins to storm over. This distance to the walk is long, but not enough to kill the intensity of the moment. This secret you had to keep could have gotten Alfred killed. scolds as he stares at Bruce in the eyes. Bruce may have been tough with Dick's upbringing, especially when it came to their hero work, but yelling back was never something he succumbed to. He could get his point across without matching an escalated tone. The break-in came from a breach with Wayne Tower. Not here, he rebuttals. If the tunnel didn't exist in the first place, a breach of security with the tower wouldn't have mattered at all. This should be the safest place for Alfred, period. Isn't that why you really leave him down here for missions anyway? Dick argues. I guess you can't even hide us down here to keep us safe from him. Can you, Bruce? He says as he lowers his voice to a calmer tone. He makes his way back over to the elevator. I'll be upstairs when you're ready, Alfred. He shouts across to him. The elevator begins to go up. No place like home for the holidays, he says mumbling to himself. Alfred packs up his tools and heads over to Bruce. Bruce is seemingly paying no mind to what just happened. Have you gathered any intel on what the Joker may be plotting, or when? Alfred asks, as Bruce reaches to open a glass door fridge and pull out a drink. The streets are quiet, Alfred. No one's talking. No one's doing anything. Even the asylum was calm," Bruce says. Well, then, perhaps this is the calm before the storm," Alfred says. He did seem quite ill with excitement. Perhaps it would be best to call upon some reinforcements for the sake of security, whatever the scale of heinousness he has in store for this time. The Justice League is for universal issues, Alfred. The Joker is far from that. I can and should handle this on my own," Bruce responds. Meanwhile, Victor is cooped up in his apartment. He hasn't come out of deceased status publicly yet. Unemployed and hiding, Bruce bought the apartment building so that he could make sure Vic didn't have to worry about living expenses. Victor knew he was making his parents proud. It warmed him thinking about it whenever he would get really down. He missed them a lot. He regretted the way him and his dad left things between them before Silas sacrificed himself. It's an opportunity he'll never get back. Time together with his parents is something he'll never get back. Being tempted by the mother boxes almost won him over, but he stayed strong. He knew what he was doing was bigger than himself. He didn't just feel it, he saw it. The holidays are a morbid time for the lonely. He decorated the tree just the way his mom used to, placed right in the corner. It looked so beautiful the way it lit up with the golden glow along the length and height of the brick walls. Victor is always adapting and discovering new features and skills he has. Just as he projected images in front of the other members of the Justice League, he can do that and even better now. He projects a whole scene of a memory from a Christmas when he was younger. It takes up the whole room and is so clear an image, it's as if he really traveled back in time to that memory. It was a better time then, when he had them both around, before his dad became too consumed with work. A young Victor is knelt in front of a tree, visibly upset about something. Silas and Eleanor sit at the coffee table with a tray with a small contained flame and an assortment of graham crackers, marshmallows, and chocolate around it. Some people do Christmas cookies, but who said s'mores can't be good year-round? It was their little tradition. Victor, Eleanor says, why don't you show us how it's done? She knows he's upset. They already talked about it earlier. Vic isn't budging, though. She nudges to Silas to try to prick him up. Silas hasn't been briefed on what's upsetting Victor, so he's confused how to navigate. Um, son, do you want to, uh, he begins, then gets down to lay next to Victor, who is gazing at the lights on the tree. What's the matter, Vic? Victor won't speak. He's pretty down about whatever's on his mind. Silas puts his hand on Victor's back. Victor, he says, talk to me. What's got you upset, son? The other kids at school said Santa isn't real, and when I said that he is, they said he's for babies. For dreamers, Victor replied. Well, Saz began. He let out a little chuckle. You are too ginormous to be a baby, he said, kind of wiggling Victor around, trying to get him to loosen up. And what's wrong with dreaming? Nothing. Grown-ups dream too. It is essential to our functioning, to our existence. When we stop dreaming, it's the beginning of the end." Then Victor ended the memory simulation, and the apartment was empty of his holographic company. Meanwhile, Babs was driving through the town talking on the phone to her father. Commissioner Gordon. She was explaining why she was the one picking up Tim from the airport and not someone else. No, it's not like that. It's platonic. Despite her and Dick having a falling out of the romance, she and Tim remained close. They talked often. Babs was the older female figure Tim enjoyed having when he needed someone to talk to. Like an older sister or cousin. They understood each other very well. Tim is one intelligent guy. Intuitive, too. He would never come right out and say it, but he knows Dick could be more of a man and step up to the plate when it comes to his relationship with Barbara. An incoming call from Tim interrupts her call with her dad. Hello? She says. Hey, Barbara. How close are you to being here? Tim asks. Don't worry. I'm not quite there. Don't run through the airport, she says humorously. Okay good, he says, decelerating his walking speed. Somebody bumps into him jolting him back and knocking one of his airpods out of his ear. He kneels down to pick it up and notices one of the security guards laughing at the scene. There's something off about the security guard. There's something off about a lot of the airport staff, actually, even some of the fast food workers, but he can't put his finger on it. Anyway, he says, Thanks for picking me up. I didn't want to add another thing for Alfred. And I really couldn't ask Bruce. I don't think he's okay with me coming home in the first place. Bruce always advised him to not come home. He'd spent some time as Robin, but not long. Bruce couldn't risk his safety, so he sent him overseas to study and train abroad. Yeah, well, you and I can stick together. You're not the only one feeling awkward coming home to the estate for Christmas. She tells him. That bad, huh? He asks. Do you think you guys will even... I don't know. Look at each other? He asks sarcastically. I think Dick has enough eyes on him with his following these days. She snarks back. Just as she drives down the bridge that overpasses the railroad yard underneath, there's a group of suspicious men unloading cargo from one of the train carts. They finish their job, and the last man to come out of the cart slams the door shut. The slamming sound echoes and the picture is instantly black. The Joker's laugh and grueling screams from Jason being beaten half to death reverb as the echo from the door slamming fades out. The image remains black as their sound fades out too. A light source blurs into focus in the distance. It's a memory being relived from first-person point of view. The room is quiet. So quiet, a pin drop would be loud. The light has short reach, and the blackness around the room is so dark, Jason can tell he's in the large building. He sees a figure standing over a table, shuffling and analyzing some papers on it. Jason is groggy, but he fully wakes up, and the silhouetted figure becomes clearer, with a long cape running down the back, and two points at the top of the head. Batman, he tries to say. A sense of excitement and hope for safety kicks in. He coughs as he tries to build up his lungs to speak again. Batman, I'm over here, he says in a soft volume. He tries to get up, but quickly grabs his ribs as the pain kicks in and reminds him of the gruesome beating he had gotten before he was knocked out. He stumbles as he tries to upright his posture but manages to scoot over to the figure. Batman, he says again, getting closer. He pauses. He's confused. How can he not hear him? Batman, I'm right here. Turn around. I need help, Jason says, moving right behind him. Jason grabs him by the shoulder, but the figure turns and kicks Jason to the ground and a few more lights kick on. Oh, Batman, the figure says, mimicking Jason. It's the Joker dressed in some kind of twisted replica of the bat suit. It's like an exact version, almost like he stole it right from the Batcave, but decked out in his iconic color scheme of purple and green. He's got red lipstick messily smeared around his mouth, too. Some of it is even on his teeth. The Joker has some of the papers from the table in his hand. Jason tries to get up and charge at him, but the Joker kicks him back down and throws the stack of papers at Jason. The news paper articles and pictures of Jason and Bruce. The Joker shakes a can of spray paint in his other hand and gets on top of Jason. He tries to kick the Joker away, but the Joker strikes his elbow into Jason's knee and gains further control to sit on top of him and end the recess of his torment. Jason tries to swing, but all it takes is a little punch right to his ribs that are probably broken for the Joker to win this fight as well. Batman? Batman help me. The Joker mocks. Oh, you mean Bruce? Jason looks scared. He's horrified and confused. Oh. Don't worry, little birdie, it's all your fault that I know. You told me, Robin. The Joker leans in and looks Jason in his eyes. He's not coming, Jason. I'm the best you've got, he says with a big and hellish smile on his face. You're my Robin now. This pigeon is in my coop, he says. The Joker begins beating Jason again and tagging his suit in yellow spray paint. The memory goes dark, and all that can be heard is the Joker laughing hysterically and Jason screaming. Jason's screams for help reverberate and mix with the sound of the cry for help of a young Bruce Wayne from the night his parents were killed in front of him. The scene reopens to another memory, but not of Jason. A lady sits in silence, scratching some notes in a large journal. The room is unlit, but the outdoors glow through the large window in the back of the room. A preteen Bruce Wayne sits across from her as they meet in the study of Wayne Manor for his regular therapy sessions. Dr. Leslie Tompkins is her name. She has been working with Bruce since he witnessed the tragedy of Martha and Thomas Wayne. Bruce regularly finds himself to be the target of the school bully. Normally, he runs he hides. Even if it means cutting class, he finds safety. He'll take the beating if he can't run and hide. Recently he's found himself to be receiving punishment after retaliating to the bully, but not in defense of himself, but for another schoolmate. He was vengeance, even at such a young age. His discussion with Dr. Leslie Tompkins dissects his reasoning. They wrap up their session And she furthers her discussion with Alfred before she departs. After all, raising Bruce has become a joint effort for them both. No luck in clearing him of his punishment. Spoke with the headmaster, and Bruce will have to face suspension, Alfred says. Can't justify such inexcusable behavior. Dr. Tompkins curled her lips in as she prepared her rebuttal. She took a deep sigh and removed her glasses. She needed them more to read and see far away anyway. Bruce will forever cast blame on himself for his parents' death, let alone be emotionally scarred from witnessing it, and feel shame for being the survivor, which I would have assumed you could empathize for being former military. Alfred tilted his jaw upward with his arms behind his back. Dr. Tompkins could tell she pushed a button, but she meant to. She continued, That boy has grown up faster than most. To call his behavior inexcusable is a bit unfair. Inappropriate maybe, but not inexcusable. He will feel the weight of his parents' legacy and that night on his shoulders and will seek ways to redeem himself of that undeserving shame. Nothing was ever his fault though, so he will never feel satisfied in whatever he does, striving for redemption. That boy no longer has a normal life. The best we can do is raise him out of that darkness. As she steps out of the oversized front doors to the manor, Alfred stands waiting for her to depart out of courtesy, but also as her words resonate with him. He felt bad. He was too concerned with the severity of the punishment and something as silly as reputation that he overlooked the emotions backing Bruce's brave and bold action. As her shoes crunch against the gravel with every step, the view of her walking away begins to spin and wind clockwise. As the angle comes back upright, the view is no longer of Dr. Leslie Tompkins walking away, and it is now night not day. A different pair of shoes walks on a gravel path in the opposite direction of a burning, abandoned building that glows from behind him. The shoes begin skipping, and the view reveals the figure to be the Joker. To say he is sick in the head doesn't even scratch the surface. He finds a disgusting pleasure where sane people would be disturbed. The Joker crescendos into an obnoxious laughter and the sound echoes at the scene, transitions to an aerial view of the Batman climbing on top of rubble and broken cement slabs of a crumbled building. He digs until he finds what he dreaded to discover, a burnt and crisp corpse in the Robin suit, which was intact as it was designed to withstand this kind of damage. Batman clenches his fists and teeth, As he scans the graffiti work, the Joker tagged on the suit. Ha ha. Joke's on you, Batman, it reads. Batman doesn't cry. Bruce spent much of his childhood struggling to properly express and communicate his emotions. Over the years, he has become pretty emotionally numb. He just isn't affected or stimulated emotionally in the same way most people are. He acknowledges a happy occasion, but he doesn't really feel happy. He feels anger, but he's learned how to not let him get carried away with it, even in combat. He does feel sadness, it's just more within than it is expressed externally. However, holding the crisp corpse wrapped in the robin suit really hit him. His face was still. But a few tears forced their way out of his eyes. He didn't squint, the tears weren't in excess, they just came out. He wouldn't admit it or count it as crying, but it pretty much was. He loved Jason like a son. He loved all his kids as if they were actually his own. But also in a sense of how he saw himself in them. He pulled them out of darkness during a time when they needed someone in a way that no one really could when he was in his. He needed someone who really understood and could relate to when he was going through his toughest times. He wanted to be that person for them, for Jason, but he failed him. It reopened the scar of losing his parents and created a new one of losing a son.